Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. That idea of a solitary genius isn't, isn't a helpful one because it actually isn't very true. You know, if you think about people like the classic idea being Einstein or um, anyone who's kind of hunched over an easel in the dead of the night, like it's just not true. You know, even even an artist who creates a painting has a gallerist, has a curator, has an agent, has clients. So although we can get great work done alone, we can also recognise that actually we're kind of much more interlinked than we might otherwise seem. Hi, I'm Francesca Spector, and you're listening to Alonement, the podcast that broadens the conversation around alone time. Each episode, I ask my guest about the time they spend by themselves and why it matters. At the heart of every episode is one central question. What turns solitude into a good or bad experience? Because... When alone time isn't lonely, it's alonement. So here we go. It's the first episode of season three of the alonement podcast. And my God, it is good to be back. Whether you're a long-term subscriber or this is the first time that you're tuning in, thank you so much and welcome to the community. I can tell you that producing and recording this podcast is one of the chief joys of my career to date. The other one being the time that I interviewed Jane Fonda, which, uh, yes, I'm not ever going to shut up about that one. When I first started putting together this series back in 2019, suffice to say that the world looked pretty different to how it does now. As regular listeners of this podcast will already know... The inspiration behind Alonement was my own journey as a one-time extreme extrovert who wasn't able to spend even an hour by myself in a healthy, meaningful way. Learning to do so transformed my life and has certainly proved useful over the past year or so. Solitude used to be much more of a choice. Right now, for many of us, Whether you're living alone or working from home or simply feeling disconnected due to restrictions from your usual social circle, it's not a choice. But I've learned a really important lesson this year from my podcast guests and also from the wider alonement community. And that lesson is that you might not always choose when you have alone time. 
but you can change your approach towards it. That, my friends, is a game changer. James Averill, a psychologist who I quote in my upcoming book, says, Solitude is the story that you tell yourself. Pandemic or otherwise, alone time has the potential to be lonely, empty, wasted time, or it might become one of the most life-affirming, joy-giving techniques that you have in your emotional toolbox. The choice is yours. And if you want to learn how to make it the latter, I suggest you keep listening. Welcome to Alonement Season 3. Now, let me introduce this week's guest, the writer and presenter, Rebecca Seal. Rebecca is the author of one of 2020's most accidentally relevant titles. Her book is called Solo, How to Work Alone and Not Lose Your Mind. What was originally written as a helpful handbook for freelance workers turned into an absolute Bible for the 14 million employees who began working from home during the start of the COVID lockdown. I've got a brilliant lineup of guests on this season, but when it came to deciding which episode should kick off the season, I knew it had to be this one. Rebecca is someone whose career I've admired for years and When we were speaking, I couldn't stop thinking about how many people currently working from home would benefit from Rebecca's lessons. If there's someone who makes solo working, well, work, then that's Rebecca. A former assistant editor at The Observer, Rebecca has worked from home for over a decade, writing no less than eight cookbooks, including publications for healthy fast food chain Leon. Now and then, She breaks it up with her role as the drinks tasting expert on Channel 4's Sunday Brunch, aka Best Job Ever. She's also about to launch her own podcast called The Solo Collective, expanding on the themes raised in the book. But she hasn't always found it easy. In this episode, Rebecca shares the valuable lessons she's learnt over a decade of self-employment including how to make your home an appealing place to work, how to avoid the distractions from technology, and the importance of stopping for a lunch break. That last one is especially close to my heart. She also shares her best tips for specifically working from home during a pandemic, which, let's face it, we could all do with right now. I definitely lost my cool at the start of this episode and began by shamelessly gushing over Rebecca. Just to give the listeners some context here, I remember you so well as the impossibly glamorous very brilliant columnist and recipe writer at the first ever magazine I used to work at. And I so often saw you as such an inspiration. You know, how does someone have this amazing, varied, glittering freelance career with television appearances and writing features and testing recipes? When I saw that you'd written this amazing book about working solo and how you did that, I just had to get you on the show. 
<laughs> um, that's so nice of you to say I so didn't feel glamorous at that point I like had two tiny children when I was doing that column and I remember that they would come in and take photographs of me and I, I would have to like really pull it together <laughs> to, try and, <laughs> to try and make it look as though I had any sort of semblance of control of my life at that point so um, that's really nice to hear that I managed it somehow um, but yes I've written a book um, solo how to work alone and not lose your mind um, which is sort of um, slightly about well it was inspired by my journey into freelancing and working alone and finding that difficult and wanting to create a toolkit for both myself and for other people who I assumed would be feeling the same things as me as I was working alone and it had nothing to do with the pandemic (laughs) 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 it predates the pandemic by years um, but yes and yet and yet of course you know it came out in September 2020 so you know in the midst of a well in, in between I think a couple of lockdowns so yeah but I mean you know it was just so apt and so necessary to come out at that time and so for the benefit of everyone listening and for those who perhaps haven't had a chance to read your fabulous book yet how long have you been working solo and what were the circumstances that made that happen? So I went freelance um, about 12 years ago uh, when I got voluntary redundancy from The Guardian, which was where I was, um, which was where I was working at the time. And um, at that moment, I didn't have, you know, a mortgage or children or any (laughs) terrifying responsibilities. So it was less uh, scary to decide to go freelance. And and then about six years into that, I kind of hit a bit of a burnout situation. And that was what inspired the beginnings of the thinking about solo. It's interesting because, you know, you say, you know, you write that, you know, you wouldn't go back to an office and that you really enjoy the lifestyle you've created for yourself. Um, and yet, I mean, you write in the book that we tend to think I work alone, so I'm alone in this. Why is it important not to feel alone in working alone? So it turns out through the research that I did on kind of solitude, which incidentally I was surprised to discover is actually quite thin on the ground. I would have thought there'd be more data on kind of what being alone does to the brain, but there actually isn't a huge amount. There's some and it's really interesting, but there's not masses. But it turns out that how we perceive our solitude affects how we feel about it very, very deeply. And so if you consistently tell yourself that you're alone, then you're more likely to feel isolated. And if if you perceive yourself as isolated, it kind of doesn't matter whether you are or not in terms of the benefits that you might get from not feeling isolated. And, and, And social isolation, perceived social isolation, is really dangerous. Like it has really poor kind of mental and physical health outcomes. And so I felt that it was important for us all to try and remember that we can perceive ourselves to be more socially isolated than we actually are and it turns out that's quite critical this year in particular but if for anyone who's alone I think it is also critical um it was really important for me to realize how not alone I really was even if I was physically alone how sort of deeply connected I was and to how many people and to kind of appreciate and um sort of nurture the idea that I was part of a team that it might not be a visible team and it might not be a team that I was often or indeed ever face to face with but to those people I mattered and what what I do matters the work I do matters and in some cases I I'm critical to their careers progressing or to their incomes happening um and that really that 
knowledge really shifted how I felt about being alone and working alone particularly because suddenly I was part of this sort of nebulous team and that made me feel far less lonely in my Mm. aloneness. Yeah, I mean, alone is a word with so many connotations. It amazes me. There's just, you know, so Mm. much, so much, even, you know, even, you know, in the sentence, um, I work alone, so I'm alone in this, you know, that, that alone is seen in two different ways there, because, you know, there's the physical state of being alone. And then there's the isolation of not having anyone in the same life stage as you or the same position as you. And, you know, of course, that is increasingly less the case because right now we're all working from home or many many of us are working from home in those professions that can be do you think that in some sense everyone working at home alone at the same time do you think that that creates that beneficial sense that you are not alone do you think there's been almost you know it's all taking the plunge together do you think there's been a greater community with that do you think people who are doing that are maybe in a better position than someone like yourself who chose 12 years ago to go freelance and work alone and in a seemingly sort of rare way yeah I mean I think it's quite a mixed thing isn't it I think that this this aloneness narrative of this year of 2020 um is playing out differently in every single household every individual is having I mean this is obviously true but it's worth remembering, I think, that there's a different story unspooling in every single house when it comes to how they've coped with the new demands and ways of working that have been that have been put on people. Um, so I think there's that on the one hand. Um, but yeah, I also do feel quite seen <laughs> this year, mm. um, it, which is which is lovely. And well, not lovely. That's the wrong way of putting it in the context of this year, but (laughs) (laughs) dragging us all down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It has been, it has been quite an extraordinary experience though, to, um, have the opportunity to stop pretending, um, that A, everything's okay, or that B, I'm not kind of chasing my tail in a way which is now very familiar. I think, um, particularly if people, have got kind of um, caring responsibilities or parent, parenting responsibilities or um, or anything like that. Like, I think we have literally got windows on each other's worlds now um, in ways that we never had before. And as somebody who was constantly trying to sort of pretend that I wasn't working at home and pretend that I wasn't kind of surrounded by small children and the detritus of life, like it's quite nice now to know that so many other people are in a similar boat <laughs> really yeah has working from home during a pandemic as someone who has worked from home for so long has it proved more or less the same as an experience as you know working from home during normal times no it's a point that I keep making to to I you know I've been talking a lot to businesses and stuff with them um, with the book having come out I suddenly have this role where I advise businesses on what to do with their staff which I find hilarious since I haven't worked in a business for 12 years but there we go um and one of the things that I keep saying is like work from home 2020 is not working from home this is not what it's like if you think you hate working from home um this year this you may love it in the long run because this isn't what it's like and there have been times when I have found it extremely painful to be working from home um this year even though I'm practiced and have literally written a book on it <laughs> so um so no I don't think for all for all that it's for all that there are elements which are preferable in that everybody understands more now about how how I work the the broader experience of working from home during a pandemic is 
totally different to say last year's experience of working from home. Yeah. And why is that most uh, specifically for you? Do you think that that's because of, for instance, the childcare constraints or like, is it, you know, is, is it more than that? I think it's more than that. I think, and this is where I think it's a kind of um, more sort of globalized experience um, is that you don't have any of the ways in which you would normally recover. So one of my big things is about how I nicked this off a happiness researcher called Sean Acor to give him his due. Um, But there's a a phrase of his, which is um, always stuck with me ever since I read it, which is resilience is not about how you endure, but about how you recover. And I think it's critically important to um, to recover during work days and after work days and between work days. Um, and much of the advice that I give in the book is really hard to access right now. Like it's really hard to do the things which are considered to be recovery um, because often they're about spending time with other people and we're limited from doing that. And often they're about doing things which are outside of the environment in which you work. And that's incredibly difficult to access. <laughs> and, you know, if not that, then their travel or, you know, going out for meals or um, exercising with friends <laughs> or, you know, all these things which 2020 has temporarily robbed us of. Um, and so I think that's probably why one of the big reasons why work from home in 2020 ha- hasn't been a representative experience of working from home. And if you've got caring responsibilities of any sort, which are chucked on top of that, then obviously that makes things even more stressful. But I don't think it's just that. I think it's mainly that we just don't have any of the pressure release opportunities that we would normally have in life and, and that we're used to and that we've been grieving for their departure as well. You know, there's a grief to this year um, and, and a kind of uh, endless sort of rolling sense of disappointment, don't you think? And all of those things make it really difficult to just get on with your work. <laughs> really yeah. difficult. Yeah, of course, the sort of like under underlying anxiety um, mm. throughout all the you know all the restriction changes as well and just yeah. not really quite knowing how to get your footing um, I think it's really interesting you talk about the notion of recovery as well um, and that you know that that balance I think you're alluding to between you know the solitude and social time and not being able to get the balance in the same way um, it's interesting in your book you quote a man called Michael Harris who wrote a wonderful book on solitude and I also quote him in my upcoming book. And what I like is he talks about these things being part of a social diet and mm. you know, that we need both solitude and social time in order to be able to thrive. And yeah, as you say, you know, you lack those things. Um, and, you know, it's not, in, in, you know, I, I say it's not impossible. In some ways it is impossible because, you know, I think, you know, we definitely knew during the absolute height of um, height of the pandemic, the height of lockdown, you know, Zoom isn't going to be, a, you know, a decent substitute all of the time. While it's a lovely thing to have, um, then, you know, it's just, it doesn't replace um, those things that you get in an office or, you know, through seeing your friends. I think it's interesting you write in your book about um when you start working from home there's nothing ready made and you know you say that you say that that, you know there's no you know as much as we think that you know having a HR department always checking in and you know having those office happy hours as much as we think it's this sort of cheesy banal thing that we have in office life I think we've all kind of seen that you know you miss it when you when you don't work 
in an office and you talk about how you can sort of replace that when you're working from home and when you become you know a a full-time solo worker obviously we're compromised in the pandemic as to how much of that we can replace um, in order to get that all-important balance and reduce loneliness but what are some of the things that are almost pandemic proof that work for you in terms of working from home and you know being able to enjoy it um pandemic proof work from home tips that's definitely like the headline of the year isn't it (laughs) (laughs) um uh yeah so uh there are we are so limited um I mean the thing one of the things that I'm always banging on about on Instagram is doing things like stopping to have a really nice lunch I mean the majority interestingly the majority of my book I find now reflecting back on it is actually about how when not to work (laughs) And how not to work and what to do when you're not working, which like is intriguing because it's a book about working, really. Um, but I think those are the important bits. The, the work in and of itself is kind of will happen if you build a sort of scaffolding around work to support it, which feels like an odd way of thinking about it. But I think that that's the most well useful but also pandemic proof way of doing it and I think that the difficulty for people who particularly started working from home this year is and especially actually if they work for an organization but not only is that um there's like the office culture rule book has been completely ripped up and if you had a great office culture beforehand then you might really miss that but your leaders and bosses might not yet have worked out how to recreate one or they might be trying really hard to do so but struggling because it's a it's a you know it's an unknown thing for them to do so um I guess the first pandemic proof tip would be um to just think about your work and you were not your work your work day and your work structure and your routine and your week and all of the things that you want to fit into it and how you want your life to look around your work because the danger is that we all just sit down and put our heads down and just work and and often that means working really long hours which again is detrimental to mental and physical health and you know can lead quite quickly to burnout as well as backache and wrist ache and all that stuff um so the i think the critical thing is to to sit down with yourself and have a conversation with yourself about how you want your working life to fit into your life life which is the most important bit of your life um and I know that sounds quite odd and a bit sort of airy fairy but certainly what I did when I started working from home was I just worked I just worked and worked and worked and worked and I didn't look up I didn't think about what what the work would be doing to my life the more important bit of me I just carried on so so there's that and then yeah stop for lunch (laughs) make a nice lunch um you know feed yourself well in the sense that you're it's an act of self-care um, and an act of, of self-respect and an act of respect towards your work too, because you're saying, I, I, I need to do this work well. And in order to do that, I need to fuel my body well. Um, and, the, you know, then, then I can get my work done and finish it and leave it behind and go off and have the rest of my life, which I also deserve as much as a good lunch. Um, so th- those are some things. And then beyond that, it's, you know, I often feel like I'm saying really obvious things, but they bear repeating because I think they're so hard for humans to actually act on. But it's, you know, get out into daylight and get out into nature. You know, we're not we're not yet <laughs> at present told that we can't actually leave the confines of our home. So um, 
if you can get 120 minutes of time in nature every week, then you will be doing a huge amount to kind of shore up your mental health and your physical health too, but particularly your mental health. Um, and then, you know, I can see you've got a gorgeous plant behind you. I've got an enormous one behind me, <laughs> like filling, filling our houses with, um, with greenery and natural textures, um, exposing ourselves to bright light during the daytime and, um, and cozy dim lights in the evening, but not vice versa, um, will help us to sleep better. So that's what I mean about the sort of scaffolding, um, that we, that we need to put in place. And then the final thing is, um, talk to your friends, but talk to them on the phone. <laughs> Don't talk to them on Zoom. Um, um, Gretchen Rubin on her happiness podcast has a lovely tip about going walking with friends. And obviously that's more difficult to do now, but, um, she's, she's advocating that when people go for their walks, which, you know, we should aim to be doing every day anyway, we pick up the phone and we call a friend and maybe we do that randomly, or maybe we do it in a planned way. Um, but that's a way of kind of recreating the serendipitous human contact that we would have had if we worked in an office. Um, and, also just allows us to reconnect more deeply with people and if we can ask them how they are instead of instead of viewing it as an opportunity to offload our own issues paradoxically if you can hear other people and understand what their lives look like then that creates some far deeper connections than um than kind of more shallow chats would do and that can help us feel less alone too yeah, I think that's all brilliant. And I think, you know, that point on, um, yeah, making sure those social connections, you know, it's not just any social connection, it is, you know, a phone call, or a walk. Um, I mean, in, in the book, you, you know, you use a really interesting stats on how uh, social media usage, um, you know, it, people who have high usage of social media, they're three times more likely to feel socially isolated, which is, a bonkers you know when you think of social media it's complete mm. paradox um but I think it really is that quality of communication I suppose that almost that connection that you lack when you you know you send a whatsapp message you're not really connecting are you you're, you're sort of putting things out there and doing the opposite to what you said with which is you know asking your friends how they are and hearing back from them um so I think that's really interesting and I think you know it, it is such a issue you know the the idea of loneliness and solo working um again another brilliant stat in your book 40 to 50 percent of solo workers feel lonely some or all of the time um which is you know which is a tremendously high stat and the other things that you referred to interestingly weren't necessarily about other people you know the, the tips for working from home you said things like having a nice lunch and you know being able to, you know, have a nice, you know, have a nice plant, have a nice environment, those sort of things. Do you think that those inanimate things, those, you know, non-people related things can indeed reduce loneliness? Um, I think it can probably tilt the balance in favour of just feeling better. And I think if you feel better in general, you're less inclined towards a tumble into a kind of loneliness hole. Um, so I'm not sure that, I mean, I do consider my plants friends. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I mean, I have about 20. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure that it, I'm not sure that they, that plants and a nice environment and so on necessarily alleviate loneliness but I think they do such good things to the brain I mean the, the stuff about how the fractal patterns in plants and foliage and trees and, and clouds and things how they um, do the same job on our brain as listening to music um, 
you know, all of that stuff will help us to just feel less awful about this year in particular. Mm. Um, And I think caring for yourself is a good way of not feeling lonely. I mean, the the times when I've felt deepest loneliness, and um, I think it's really important to say that, you know, the reason I wrote this book was because I was incredibly lonely about six years ago, like unbelievably lonely um, and incredibly miserable as a result. you know the the whole the whole thing about loneliness is that it it can only really truly be alleviated by human contact with other people and you know we just have to do our best in the current context to try and um figure out ways around where we are in terms of restrictions by which I don't mean breaking the rules but I just mean by kind of deepening the connections that we do have um and and looking after ourselves and nourishing ourselves sort of in that most holistic sense yeah um, whenever possible what about I mean in you know earlier on the in the podcast and also in the book you spoke about um solitude versus loneliness um and, you know and I think you know obviously that's something that I find fascinating because I that distinction is so important to alonement because alonement is the opposite to loneliness you know alonement is a whole word which describes the opposite to loneliness when solitude can be positive but the fact the fact that you make that distinction and the fact that you say it's about almost framing the way you see alone time I think is really interesting and do you think that perhaps some of those inanimate things even though they can't kind of cure loneliness they almost give you the I don't know the, the foundation to reframe your alone time yeah definitely definitely so you're right you're completely right so if you can enjoy your alonement your your solitude um then you're far less likely to feel lonely absolutely 100 and I think solitude is a really interesting kind of concept and, and I, I say in the book that you know there are two kind of competing ways of looking at it aren't there there's the there's the solitude as a punishment this sort of highly negative thing and this view of people who've chosen solitude to be hermit-like or you know to all the old stories of this kind of the scary witch living in the wood or or living alone in the wood people who've who've, um, opted to remove themselves being seen as really strange so there's that whole kind of narrative attached to it and then there's this idea of like a solitary genius or a kind of religious leader um, having a revelation in solitude. And, you know, then then it becomes this sort of highly charged, emotive, but positive thing. Um, and I'm, you know, I find that tension really interesting. Um, and if you can, I think if you can frame your solitude, which is just a kind of, it's not a value laden term, really, if you think about it, um, if you can frame it as an opportunity, um, and as a as an enjoyable thing then I think that's really important and that's why in the book I go into quite a lot of detail about what the positives of solitude can be and how um, you know again there's not a huge amount of study on this but what there is shows that it tends to encourage creativity um, that we're less inhibited when we're trying to be creative on our own um, and that therefore we can kind of have bigger thoughts that might lead to greater ideas and to you know and, and revelations um, and you know that 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 is a real opportunity i think one of the conversations that people keep having this year is about the lack of collaboration because we're working from home the lack of face-to-face collaboration and while i agree that that's that's definitely a disadvantage particularly in some kind of touch and feel type industries i also think that we need to sort of 
stop looking at it as though it's a terrible thing and think about what a huge opportunity it is because you can be so much more productive when you're on your own um if you if you feel happy about it and um and you can yeah you can have these kind of great creative moments which is such a thing like I I have done and achieved and created so much more on my own than I ever did working in an office ever 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 and that's one of the reasons why I'll never go back and that's a very very powerful statement as well especially to you know any bosses listening to this and wondering whether they wanted to uh, perpetuate that work from home culture I think it's really worth saying to that. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Uh, you know, the the image of the solitary figure as the witch in the woods or, you know, the mm. crazed genius going off and, you know, in, in creating this sort of, you know, this amazing work after a year of isolation. I didn't subscribe to either of those because I just don't think they're very accessible. And, you know, what's really powerful for me is someone like yourself who, you know, you are someone who's relatable, also very aspirational and very cool. Perfect. To see you and, to, and for people to be able to point and say, look, you know, Rebecca Seal works alone and, you know, and, and she absolutely nails it. And look, she says all these amazing things about doing it. Therefore, that's something I want to aspire to. Not you know, the only role models they have being, yeah, like crazy people. In yeah, the the, the cra- <laughs> yeah, the crazy witch or the, oh, you're the creative genius, you know, because I think yeah. that really is, you know, you can't be what you can't see and having role models in this, role models who can also say, look, it's a mixed bag, but this yeah. is how you thrive are just so important. And I think, you know, change everything. 
I think also that idea of a solitary genius isn't isn't a helpful one because it actually isn't very true. Um, you know, if you think about people like like the classic idea being Einstein or um, uh, you know anyone anyone who's kind of hunched over an easel in the dead of the night, like it's just not true. You know, even even an artist who creates a painting has a gallerist, has a curator, has an agent, has clients, has you know, it's it's not really the case that anyone is actually truly alone in their creative endeavors we're all deeply connected to other people and Einstein had a huge team of other scientists who batted ideas around with him and you know so so although we can get great work done alone we can also recognize that actually we're kind of much more interlinked than we might otherwise seem and and I think actually that's a really critical point is that whenever you see somebody who appears to be nailing it alone they're not doing it alone like it's really important that I flag that up like if 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 that's how I look which is so funny because it's not how it feels from the inside at all but if that's how it looks then you know it's really important to say like I've got you know two agents three publishers any number of editors who I work for, who I talk to all the time. Um, you know, I've got an office mate who's also a coach who I'm, you know, going to talk to loads about what I do next. Um, and, you know, then there's also like the person who looks after the kids three days a week and the nursery and the cleaner and, um, you know, who's brilliant and wonderful. And um, and the other, the other person who helps clean the studio and, you know, all the assistants who help us on shoots because we've got we've got a photography studio down the road like you know the it's it's a big network of people and all of it wouldn't happen if I didn't have them and and my virtual assistant and the person who does all my invoicing and you know and that's not about like having loads of money and being able to outsource it it's really you know it's expensive to have all that stuff and it, it it's really hard to have it sometimes like my income is you know very very variable but you know it's it would be impossible to do what I do without a big network of people helping me so whenever you see somebody standing on a stage and doing a thing or kind of getting an award or being on Instagram and looking like that it's all glossy and perfect and they're just nailing it by themselves like they're not <laughs> they're just not and it's completely disingenuous to present yourself as though it's just you thank you so much for sharing that because I think it's really it is you know it's it's really important um and again you know I think it's when you're starting out, you know, the very, very start um, as a solo worker, you know, yes, you very likely will be almost entirely, you know, alone in that. But then, you know, you, you might have a very helpful partner. You might have, you know, people that you work with, you know, one day a week that really change things up. And, you know, it is, I guess it's, it's acknowledging that community and that community might grow, but it is acknowledging, you know, you're still in relation to other people. Yeah, and I think it's it's actually interesting in the book you quote um, the the Harry Potter film composer <laughs> Nick, Nicola, yeah. Nicholas Hooper. Yeah, and um, I I think it's interesting. You, you know, he says that when he was first writing all that music for those films, which you know, which is a really cool job. Um, he says that you know he did struggle, and he says that now he's got you know his his family, and now he's working, and you know almost fighting to get time alone. He says I'm much happier on my own now than when I had to be alone. And I think that element of choice is really interesting. And of course, it's something that we haven't had as much during the pandemic. Yeah, definitely. And I think this is where we'll see a really fascinating shift in the next year or two as we try and navigate how we work or, you know, 
whether people continue to work by themselves or not, um, because it will suddenly become a choice rather than an imperative. And that will change people's emotional response to it entirely um, and allow people to kind of draw out the positives that they've experienced this year in sort of sharper relief, as it were. I think um, people will will see the good things that they've had this year in a way that might be quite difficult at the moment to even acknowledge or admit that you're having a you know that something's positive about this year because it's really hard isn't it everyone caveats whenever you say something positive you're like but of course obviously it's dreadful (laughs) yeah I think it's a bit like you know saying that you're doing something socially distanced of course you're doing it socially distanced it's it's become almost a parody of itself to say oh we're going on a socially distanced walk oh really what you're not skipping down the road holding hands yes <laughs> yeah. As it's lovely true. as that would be. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I keep putting it in Instagram like captions like bracket safe, bracket, you know, bracket, <laughs> whatever it was I did it and it was safe, bracket. <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. so <laughs> which is um yeah, and you know, and of course, you know, anyone really, you know, completely flouting the rules, you'd really hope they wouldn't be posting it all over social media as well. well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, before we talked about um balance and you know that idea of choice. I mean, I you know, my, my experience of this, I, I started working, um, you know, working for myself a month before the country went into a pandemic. So it, you know, it ended up being, yeah, I, I was a hell of a lot less alone in that, as you say, than I thought I might be. But, you know, I remember uh, when, you know, the year, the year before that, when I was sort of, you know, starting to think about alonement as a project outside of my work, um, you know, I really discovered the joys of, solo working you know solo writing solo thinking um as again you say that you love silence to do your work um and I was you know I was very lucky I I worked in a company where they had a whole you know pretty much a whole empty floor um above where I used to go and you know spend half my day writing in Mm. solitude which was blissful and I'm sure you know most offices I know you couldn't get that I was very lucky that I had a very understanding boss um and that I was able to do that um but I never I never remember thinking oh this feels lonely because I knew that there was such a big you know social scene as an office does provide as well as you know as well as a professional environment downstairs um and it's been really interesting I, I do I you know I personally do feel like I've lost that ability to relish working alone without any contrast at all um and so yeah I I I know I hear what you're saying I very much look forward to having that back almost yeah yeah that sense of choice I think that's so true and I think I think that's the sort of there's a whole boundaries issue isn't there this year that there's no there's so much less of a firm edge between work and not work and you know that that again makes us feel like there's no choice and a lack of choice over solitude over over when you work over how you work you know any of that stuff is is quite painful um and like it's quite a luxurious position to be in to have these conversations because quite a lot of people's work globally doesn't allow for this kind of thinking at all Mm. um but I don't believe that that means you can't have the conversations because I think everybody really ideally should have the right to have some choice over how and when where and when they work um but obviously we're quite a long way away from that um but yeah I just think I just think next year or or whenever things change and they will change um will be a, a fascinating moment because I think people will choose to maintain this way of working I think lots of organizations will but lots of individuals will opt for it too yeah 
you speak about some of the benefits of working from home uh, and you say that you you know you you can't imagine ever having been so creative had you not worked from home what what are the other benefits um as you see them um well I think things like I do a four-day week for example um which is hugely beneficial and fascinating it's kind of like magic I I would never have thought it if you if you'd have told me this sort of six or seven years ago but the amount you can get done in four days when you know you can only do it in four days is so much more than you can get done in five or six it's really extraordinary the way the effect it has on the brain and the way that we work um is is just yeah magic really (laughs) um so the opportunity to choose that uh has been enormous and the kind of the knock-on of that which is that I've been able to have what looks from the outside like a full-time career and yet take care of two small children a lot of the week. Um, my husband does a four-day week as well. So the kids are in a mixture of nursery and primary school and with us in the week. And that, you know, that level of contact with them is just incredible, really. Not something that my parents were able to, not a way that my mum was able to parent. She just had to give up work. Um, so so that's huge. Uh, and all of the flexibility that comes with it, um, The all of the... The, the ability to just say yes to stuff that you might not otherwise be able to say yes to. I mean, that was the extraordinary thing about going freelance in the first place. Um, but just a, a kind of wild and crazy opportunity coming your way and being able to say, yeah, sure, I can fit that in because nobody knows what you're doing. <laughs> you know, even when I've got, even when I'm working directly for bosses, they don't care what I do with the, with the day itself, as long as the work arrives at the time it's meant to arrive. You know, there's no presenteeism in the way that I work. Um, that nobody cares whether I'm sitting at my desk or not I generally am (laughs) but um, but I can you know make choices about that and then there's all sorts of stuff about how having what's called an enriched environment um, that that you work in has a huge positive impact on your creativity and productivity and generosity interestingly as well Um, so and that simply means choosing where you work and what you're surrounded by when you do it and liking those things Um, So some interesting studies were done on offices um, where people had art on the walls and plants and soft textures and natural furnishings. And they showed that there was a really sharp increase in productivity and creativity. But if you give people the choice themselves over what to surround themselves with, whether in a home office or in a normal office environment, um, then then it's I think it's a 13 percent increase on top of the increase that's already happened. Um, So. You know, I know and I'm I'm really painfully aware of the fact that for a lot of people this year, they have not had a good space in which to work in their home that, you know, people this somebody said to me the other day this is a very middle class conversation to be having like and and I think it's also a middle aged one like I'm nearly 40. And you know, I've got a house like, um, obviously, if you're in a flat share with four people and I've interviewed a lot of people in this situation this year um then that's that's a very different situation and very hard to create an enriched environment for your brain to thrive in when you're kind of squashed into a kitchen or working on a worktop or even an ironing board as somebody I know um somebody I interviewed is working on so you know it's a it's a mixed picture for sure but for me those have been the huge positives that I can create a great space for myself and that I can work to hours which suit me which you know can also mean things like um 
I am not very creative in the mornings. I don't write very well in the mornings. And for a long time, I battled against that until I had the realization that that was the case. And now I try and schedule my days so that I write in the afternoons and I do much more kind of mundane stuff or research in the mornings. Um, and, and that means I'm not fighting my own makeup. But if I was working in an office, that would be much more difficult to do because my schedule would be set by other people and my deadlines would be set by other people. And certainly when I worked at the evening standard, I think our first deadline of the day was 11 a.m. So, you know, you just can't change the rhythm of a, of a print works. Um, and yeah, so you've got you've got freedom to get to know yourself and to get to know exactly how you work best and what suits your life the best and then build your work around that rather than slotting into a pre-existing office culture and trying to bend yourself around it. Mm, yeah, I think that's so interesting because, you know, as you say in the book, you know, again, I think we, we spoke about how it's difficult when you work at home because there's nothing ready made for you in terms of, you know, the coffee machine or the happy hour. But, you know, I think also, as you point out, you know, humans are not built for an office existence either like that wasn't so great you know with the quite often horrible strip lighting and you know the the, the sort of strange open plan setup um you know it, it really it really isn't ideal and you know I have heard um of some nice examples and you know this can't happen if you're a freelance worker but you know I've heard of companies providing their you know employees with you know a budget for uh you know buying a desk or you know getting you know buying a setup sort of thing um you know I, I imagine you know I hear a lot of people you know making the decision to move outside of London if you know the work from home culture continues um and again you know prioritizing space um for an office in the home rather than you know wanting to live more you know in in London or in, in a big city and sort of you know and live more centrally that way yeah, definitely. And I, I, the other thing I think will be interesting to see is a kind of growth in um, like micro hubs and kind of micro co-working environments. And I, I say that with interest because I've just moved into one. <laughs> um, so I share a, a room with another um, freelancer now and um, there are nine other small studio slash offices in this little complex. Um, and I think there'll be a lot more of that kind of thing because it's, you know, comparatively inexpensive um but it means that I'm not actually you know ironically this is like I've just moved in like a week ago ironically I no longer work from home (laughs) um and and I but I think a lot of people will have the experience of this um of being able to work at home and therefore be much more present in their kind of family's lives or in their social lives or or whatever and not want to go back to working in the centers of, of a city um but might think I'd rather not work in the spare bedroom if I possibly can like I'd like to be near but not actually here um so I think there'll be a huge I think next year we'll we'll see a huge growth in those kinds of things and in companies buying subscriptions potentially or a kind of you know uh, having a small hub that people use on a rotational basis so that they can be out of the house for two or three days a week but not the whole time and all that kind of stuff which I think will again mitigate loneliness without people necessarily it's not a binary choice is it it's not like we all have to work from home 100% of the time or we all return to the office 100% of the time Mm. like there is a huge and fascinating sliding scale between the two and it will be really interesting to see who does what next year yeah it will be as you say you know it's it's still to see how this 
you know, how this goes, because of course people have been able to prove that they can work from home mm. and that's fascinating in itself. And, you know, there's a hell of a lot more conversations to be had, especially because, you know, financially, I never realized, you know, it can be like, it's like a five figure sum or something to keep an office worker in the office. So it's, you know, I imagine it's, you know, in, in businesses interests, if they can get on board with the innovation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Although, interestingly, I've spoken to a few people in um, in commercial estate, uh, commercial real estate, and they've pointed out that kind of quite a lot of these businesses have 15 or 20 year leases. So some people's decisions will be driven by their kind of um, the money that they're spending anyway. Right. Uh, so it, it, it will be really interesting to see who can kind of tear up their lease immediately and who can't and what or how that affects their choices and then there are other people who other organizations who've who've made a decision to maybe keep a central london office or a central bristol or, or edinburgh office um and use it in a very different way so not expect people to use it in a desk-based way but to keep it for meetings and collaborations and things like that so you know there's there's so much kind of creative thinking to be done on this and so many different opportunities within the whole set of options Mm. and um so part of your job and of course how you know how I first knew you is as a recipe writer (laughs) creating you know delicious recipes and uh, so you know in the book you speak about working day lunches and how that's a really nice moment and you dare I say that's a very nice moment of alone months because you really are sitting down to enjoy a meal in in the middle of the day is, is really lovely that's a really nice example of how you can sort of get that balance in and create you know, moments where solitude is something that you enjoy during the day and, and, you know, reduce that loneliness. What else would you say, you know, is your alonement during the day, whether that's, uh, you know, within a professional sense or like a recreational one? Um, so I really enjoy um, the walk back from dropping my youngest at nursery. It's like three kilometers or something. So um, it's a fairly substantial walk and I really enjoy the moments that I get where I get to look through especially at this time of year when you get like the, the lovely warm glow of the lights from people's homes especially this year when everyone's at home um, so I kind of yeah I really like that sort of twinkly lighted walk um, in the mornings and I love making myself a nice lunch that that feels really key to me um, I also love wearing these cashmere wrist warmers <laughs> that <Ooh>. I always wear <laughs> I always wear them I never wear them when I'm not working they're a, a work only item and I just really I don't know I just really like the process of wearing them and knowing that I'm looking after myself and doing something very specifically for me um I also like looking out of the window when I'm thinking about what to write about and there are some trees that I can see from my office window and in fact weirdly my other office is so close to my old office in the house that I can see the same trees um <laughs> and yeah I, d- I don't know I just really enjoy these those little pause moments where um where I look at trees which has also coincidentally been shown to be really good for brain health um so I feel gratified doing it <laughs> as well um so those are probably the main things in my in my kind of working weekdays Um, And then the other thing that I really enjoy is running um, because the paradox of having small children is that you can spend quite a lot. I I had IVF to have kids. So we had five years of pretty grim time trying to have children 
and that coincided with me being incredibly lonely and was not unrelated to that because I didn't tell anybody about what we were going through and um and all my friends were having babies and um and it was it was deeply deeply painful and I deliberately isolated myself from a lot of people because it was just too too painful to be to be near them and their and their children or their baby bumps or whatever so um so I was kind of intensely lonely and intensely yearning for children and then the kids came along and I love them so much and I'm so lucky and you know everything is good but god I want to be by myself so much more now (laughs) um so quite often you know a way of doing that which feels like a nicer way than just saying I'm going I need to be by myself I'm leaving um is to put on some trainers and and go for a run so I really relish that time because um it's 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 totally it's totally for me um and I and I don't run very far and I'm not very good at it it's not it's not a kind of competitive thing but um it's just a moment usually listening to a podcast where um I'm in I'm in complete solitude and entirely inside my own head and I don't I'm, you know the great thing about running is that you can't do your emails or order clothes for children or <laughs> you know do the banking or whatever um because it's very difficult to do that when you're actually physically in motion um so I like I like the fact that it snaps me out of all that stuff too yeah well you know firstly I'm so sorry to hear that you had to go through the process of IVF and all the isolation that came with that because you know we spoke again earlier about the you know the feeling you were not alone and to have to go through something like that I think there's a real isolation that can be had with certain life stages and you know feeling like you're out of step almost but you know it's it's interesting because it does speak to that idea of um that idea of the need for contrast that you know a lot of a lot of parents say you know you can't really relish alone time until again you've become a parent and you can you you know how severely that can be restricted so you know it's, <laughs> yeah I think that's true but I also th- I, it's a dangerous thing I think because it, I don't I'm, I'm always conscious of this whenever I talk about the fact that I'm a parent is that you don't want to be you don't want to be excluding like I do remember someone saying to me that you you don't know what real tiredness is until you've had children and feeling so before having children this was and feeling so insulted and like you know that is just such a it, it, you know whether it's true or not is irrelevant it's just not it's not an inclusive thing to say um my tiredness is better than your tiredness kind of thing it's like it's ridiculous so um so there's that I think we you know I need to be careful we all need to be careful about how we talk about um parenting um and then the other irony of of the IVF experience was that I didn't need to be that alone and subsequently I've written about it a lot and talked about it a lot and and I you know I get messages most months from people who I kind of know tangentially or uh, follow me on Instagram or whatever who are having a a painful and isolated infertility journey which I welcome I'm always happy to talk about that stuff but it's I wish I'd known sooner how many people were going through it and how not alone I was because I didn't need to do it in the way that I did it you know Steve and I my husband and I were were so lonely during that period and and it wasn't necessary and okay it might not have been our friends directly who we connected with although some of them it turns out were going through the same stuff um but I could have been part of a much bigger network of people and support if I'd just known that they were there and and asked for help yeah and it's that sort of you know taking on that isolation and again withdrawing Mm. from something um yeah it kind of it means that everyone how do I put this it means that you know everyone is sort of you know they're united in their loneliness almost if everyone's got this almost like stigma around talking about these things yeah yeah definitely there are I I look back at it now and I see that there are lots of us like little islands (laughs) in society you know going through the exact same thing but not 
not sharing the experience at all. And that's why it's so important to both Steve and I that we that we talk about it relentlessly and inappropriately sometimes, <laughs> probably. <laughs> like we just crash it randomly into conversation whenever we can. I think it's so important to talk about. And do you think there's almost do you think there's almost a stigma sometimes when you've had to go through something as difficult as IVF and then talking about the honest experience of parenting and being, you know, being able to say, as you did earlier, like, look, I really want some alone time now. Like, as you say, it feels like ironic to say, but it's really not. No, I definitely, I definitely agree with you. And I think I felt that most profoundly when my first child was really tiny and, um, and I, I knew that I should feel grateful because I knew how hard it had been to get to that point. And I absolutely did not feel grateful. I really felt totally blown apart by it and really conflicted by that and and desperately desperately wanted to be by myself you know having spent years desperately not wanting to be myself be by myself I suddenly always wasn't I was never alone because I always had this tiny baby attached to me um and and it was it was so weird and so dislocating as an experience because um and and my husband found it really weird too you know he was like we we have worked so hard for this and you're not into it (laughs) And it only lasted for a few weeks, thank God. Um, but it was it was like quite a horrifying experience. Um, and I just, yeah, I think it's really difficult. I just don't think that we realise how much um, humans need alone time. <laughs> I think we're not very good at kind of recognising when we need it and asking for it and saying it's a legitimate want and a legitimate need and, and kind of factoring it into the ways in which we operate. Yeah. And, you know, having written this book now, do you feel... You know, you said you said earlier about um, running and how you think that it can be quite a good way to almost vocalize that you're going for alone time without saying alone time. Do you yeah. feel do you feel more confident now having written a book on going solo to, you know, to advocate and, you know, communicate your need for alone time? I don't know if I am very good at it, actually. That's a really interesting question. Um I I no <laughs> no I'm not actually at all I'm 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 good at it I guess in the context of something like running where it's kind of disguised so I'm at work I'm on my own um I'm running I'm on my own or whatever but I it would be very rare for me to say I'm going by myself to do x or you know or not do anything I'm just I'm just going off by myself for a bit like I have done it a couple of times in the last year um and it felt amazing whenever I did do it, but sort of remembering that I need to do it and legitimizing the need for it is quite hard. And I think actually that's a really critical point about all this stuff. Like I, I listened to um, a podcast with, um, I don't know if you listened to the um, the Happiness Lab pos- podcast. It's brilliant with Dr. Yes, Laurie Santos. It, yes. Yeah, it's great. Um, and she was, inter- uh, she was interviewing a time, um, like a time use expert called Ashley Whelans um, from Harvard. I think I'm getting the right name of person. Um, and she she's so interesting and fascinating about how we use our time and how um, how we use our leisure time. And um, but then at the end of the interview, Laurie Santos said to her, you know, what's your top tip? Like, what's your life like? Are you are you good at this stuff? And she was like, I am a work in progress. And I think it's really important that the people who write these sorts of books like me make it clear that just because we know the science and we know the best practice doesn't mean that we're getting it right all the time so just because I know that it's critically important for humans to ask for alone time when they need it doesn't mean that I do it I mean I do it sometimes and I do it more than I would do it otherwise if I hadn't written the book but like 
it's I just yeah I, I keep having experiences where I talk to people who've written sort of seminal works on x or y and I'm not saying mine's seminal I just meant you know on a topic um and uh and they're they're like yeah I'm really trying <laughs> I'm really trying to put into practice all of my all of my advice and my husband quite often laughs because I'll I'll do something that's like slightly unusual and he'll be like oh you're finally taking your own advice <laughs> about something um so yeah I think it's really we have to be honest about that like we're all works in progress on this stuff yeah I think that's I think that's such a lovely note to end on I think that's you know it, it is it's okay you know you don't have to be no one is actually a brand you know you, you can be <laughs> contradictory can't you yeah and nobody's nailing it like anyone anyone who appears to be like I, I, I say this in the book but you know social media is such a such a beast really because it allows us to present ourselves in ways which are fundamentally untrue and even those of us who know that and try quite hard not to and I and I do try quite hard not to but I still don't post photographs of myself looking absolutely appalling like you know I don't post photographs of myself with no makeup on as a general rule or if I do it's because I've just come back from a run look at me aren't I cool (laughs) you know it's 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 not real it's not real life and um there's so much sort of pretending going on even even those of us who don't want to pretend so I just yeah I think I think yeah we need to know that we need to know that nobody's got it sorted for for sure but we're making it a value and when you when you make those things you know making solo working a success when you make that a value in your life then you're much more likely to to you know get it a bit more right every day absolutely yeah absolutely absolutely you can only start to achieve things when you've actually planned for their achievement like that that it won't happen unless you have articulated the fact that you want to get something right Rebecca Seal thank you so much thank you thank you so much this is such a lovely conversation thanks for having me it has been loved it thank you Thank you so much for tuning in to the show. I really hope you enjoyed listening and that it's given you some valuable advice and inspiration for turning your alone time into alonement. If you enjoyed this episode, and I really hope you did, then I'd be so grateful if you could leave a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's the absolute best way to support independent podcasts like Alonement. Plus, it really helps other people discover the show. Until next time. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.